everyone and welcome to Early Years Mental Health Conversations with me, Kerry Payne and Kate Moxley. So I'm introducing today my first time as the introducer um, and we're really excited to be joined by Jamel Carly Campbell today who is an Early Years Advisor, Consultant and an Ambassador for Men in the Early Years. So thanks for joining us Jamel. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me Kerry and Kate. We're really excited to have a chat with you today um, and obviously we have done a number of podcasts um, you know centered around recent events um, particularly um, talking around race, uh, diversity and inclusion so we were really excited to have an opportunity to speak to Jamel. I was fortunate enough to watch you at the um, EY Matters conference, uh, was it in Bath? Yeah, the University of Bath. Yeah. yeah, so um, I watched you then and was, was quite blown away, as was the entire room, actually. So um, we, were, we were really eager to get you on and to really um, kind of get your voice out there and provide a platform for, for some of your thoughts about current situations and obviously the early years. Uh, with this podcast, we always start with a simple, how are you feeling? Do you know what? Um, I'm well. I am well. A little frustrated, but I'm well, you know. Um, just been doing a lot of reading, a lot of research at the moment. Um, done some stuff about uh, pedagogy and about education reporting. Um, and been doing a little reading into inclusive practice and diversity, pre um, diverse inclusion as well. Um, there's the same thing, but then at the same time, different. Because mm. they expand into different areas. It's like they run parallel, but um, inclusion and inclusive practice are, are so... Um, basically, people, a lot of people, they use, they, they don't understand inclusion or inclusive practice, basically. And that's what's frustrating me at the moment. You know, um, for instance, the biggest, the biggest thing that's been annoying me is British values, you know? Yeah. How, can, how can you be illustrating inclusive practice when part of your, inclu your inclusive policy is a section is British values, when or not only Britain has values, you know, values are universal. So I've just been looking into a lot of things, you know, and I'm going to give you some books at the end, um, just all to do with inclusion and diversity, inclusive practice. Fabulous. Um, so that's where I'm at. Yeah, I think um, British values. I, do you know what? what's odd about that is I don't think I've spoken to anyone really that hasn't found some issue with, with that concept. I think um, in the other podcasts we've talk, talked in some depth around this kind of tokenistic approach to, to culture essentially um, yep. and, and celebrating. And I hate to, I hate to use the word accepting culture because I don't think about, it's about accepting acceptance yeah. it's about embracing um, and yep. it's about integrating cultures and and we yep. um, interviewed Vanessa uh, Bellew last week and she was saying you know culture has color and we have to embrace all those mm -hmm. those differences which is so important for our young children um, so you, you talked about frustration and and the feelings that you've got around inclusion and diversity. I think, you know, we kind of go straight to, and it's not even an elephant in the, in the room anymore, but how, what are your current feelings on um, current events, obviously with, with George Floyd and, and the, the apparent movement that is now is kind of exploded. What are your thoughts and feelings on that? 
I believe that like there's there's many layers to it. Mm. Um, and I think personally that the elephant in the room is still there because right. there's those that, that are not standing up and those that are not talking. And even the way that the, the last week's like events have been um, put in the media, you know, mm. it's, it's, it, it shows that, that that systematic racial divide is still there. You know, on one hand, you've got um, the, the protesters that were protesting peacefully being described, you know, um, in, a, in, a, in a negative way. And then you've got those from Saturday's, um, in brackets, anti-protests, mm -hmm. you know, being described as anti-protesters um, when they were attacking our, our, <laughs> our police, you know, and they were supposed to be there to protect statues um, of of English patriots, mm. you know, but then they were attacking today's patriots, which I think was ridiculous. You know what I mean? And it is a hard topic to discuss, and the media is making it look like it's a white versus black thing, mm. um, and it's not a white versus black thing because there were many people of all different races and diversities um, marching together with the peaceful protests. You know, so that that's where, you know, my, my frustration lies. So I think there's still an elephant in the room and you can see that the elephant is in the room by what's being discussed in the comments and by what's being discussed online, like in social media and things like that. And I don't blame, you know, people for feeling some sort of way when it comes to talking about race and racial issues and so on and even understanding it. But it is something that needs to be addressed, you know, and I think that's so important right now because changes need to be made. And I will not, I will not sit here as an early years educator, advisor, consultant, someone, an ambassador of the early years, yeah, and let our children, the next generation of children have to go through this. And I think that's important, you know, that's what we all have to look at as practitioners, educators, people that are in the sector. We need to see that, you know what? what we're doing is going to affect a whole nother generation and we need to break the cycle. Mm, which is, I think, again, watching you at the EY Matters, I think actually even then, um, and I was saying to Kate before the, the podcast today, that you were very um, direct with some of your points, but there was nothing hostile in the delivery. It was, it was, mm -hmm. let's, it was that, let's bring the elephant into the room. Let's talk about the fact that I'm a black man working in the early years. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm a, a kind of wanting to represent a, a new, a renewed mindset about yeah. um, not only men, but looking at race. Um, yeah. And so I suppose it's a direct question to you. What, what are your kind of thoughts about being a black man in the early years? What, what kind of things have come up in your journey? Because I've noticed a few times that you've, you've on social media made a point of saying that, you know, I'm a consultant, I'm an advisor, I'm an ambassador, and you've been quite clear to say, I can be all those things and, and I shouldn't necessarily, mm -hmm. um, those shouldn't necessarily be questioned, the integrity of those shouldn't be, be questioned, or that's how I've interpreted yeah. it. I don't know if that's yeah. right. Yeah, no, 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 you're, you're right to think so, because sometimes it's, you see, alongside what I do with the consulting and so on, like I also work, like my day job is in a school, do you know what I mean? And sometimes when people learn of what you do outside of work there's those that are embrace that embrace it and some that are intimidated by it 
And yeah. also, like, through my journey, you know, you find that you are questioned because people don't expect you to be you. Like, I was doing some filming and um, there was a, a lady who was a chaperone for a, a child that I was, I was supposed to be filming with. And, you know, I was told to introduce myself, you know, and whatnot. And I said, oh, I'm Jamal Cardi Campbell. They said, oh, okay, I didn't expect to see you, you know? And I was like, yeah, I've kind of heard that before. And my, my, my sex, my, my race hasn't really been an issue, but, but systematically, you know, you, you can feel some things sometimes and being in the industry, you know, it can cause you to kind of, because of the way it's played, played off, you know, like, oh, you're very confident. Oh, you're very cocky. Oh, I never knew. What do you know about blah, blah, blah? What do you know about this? What do you know about that? And you find yourself being questioned sometimes. But the main thing that I fight for is really raising the, the, the amount of, um, of males that are employed in the sector. And it was only just by chance that, you know, one day I actually sat down after having a, a men in the early years meeting and realized that, wait a minute, I'm the only black male here. Right. I wonder how many black males actually work or males that are black that work in early years and in the education sectors, sector, should I say. And I, I remember shooting this question online and I, I put it forward to, to Shade, um, Shadai um, Tayempo from Bristol University. And he sent me over some facts and figures. And to think that, you know, um, the percentage of males um, in the early years workforce is only three to 4% when you, when you um, thin that down to how many black males are in the early years sector, it's like 0 0.4. And then it makes you, it makes you, it makes you question why, you know, and I remember there was some research done by um, Simon, Dr. Simon Brownhill talking about recruitment and things like that. And, you know, obviously in the, at yeah. the, University of Bath, you know, I spoke about recruitment not being the issue. A lot of the time it's, re it's retention, you know, based on the well-being of, of the male members of staff, based on the whole financial side as well, because we know that, you know, when you work in early years, you don't do early years to get paid, you know, you do it because you're passionate about it, mm -hmm. you know, and for a lot of men being it, well, it's, I know it's stereotypical to say, but they've got pressures put on them, especially black males, by their families to be the breadwinner. And you can't be the breadwinner in the early years, um, you know, especially at the, at the, the ground level. Yeah. You know, it's very, it's very hard, you know, when you're taking home £1,000 to £1,200. I remember at one stage I was only getting £875 as a, £75 as a practitioner. Yeah. You know, by the time you've paid your bills and whatnot, you've got your family members looking at you all crazy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's those pressures as well. And what people have to understand in different demographics, there are different types of pressures. Mm. You know, there are different types of pressures. And then it turns into not only being a race thing, but a class thing. Mm. You know? Yeah, I think what's really interesting about that, I don't know if this was a conversation I had with you, Kate, but... Um, 
we were talking about, obviously, and I, I'm kind of very cautious to talk around poverty narratives with young children because I think it can be quite yeah. harmful to, to label children as, well, you yeah. live in poverty, therefore, you know, and, and actually, um, just as an anecdote, I saw yesterday on social media, somebody had completed a progress check and they'd uploaded it. And mm -hmm. the first line of the progress check was, um, and it was written so theatrically, I just cannot believe the milestones this child has achieved. I never expected that this child could do this thing. And, and I thought, mm -hmm. this person's got the best intentions of this child. Mm -hmm. What they've actually said to the parent is, I didn't really come in with very many expectations. And I think mm -hmm. often um, children experiencing poverty to immediately go, well, actually, I'm going to lower my expectations for you. It, it really is really quite a harmful um, narrative to have in the early years. But, you know, I, I do think we also need to acknowledge that there is adversity for not only children, but for the adult yeah. looking after those children. So whilst exactly. I might say a child is living in social deprivation, more often than not, that practitioner is also living and experiencing mm -hmm. similar deprivation, whether you're a yeah. male or female. Um, and, and I think that is is often the heartbreak of the early years is that we yeah. we expect people to come in. We don't necessarily provide the high quality and richness mm -hmm. within the, the CPD and the training. And then we kind of throw them out and go, go and raise this next generation. And a lot yeah. of us, I do think we're self-made. You know, when I worked in the early years, I had no qualifications. I had no idea what I was doing. And it, it had to come off my own sheer determination despite the fact that you know when I was training to, to become a practitioner I got a, a small bursary for doing my earliest teacher status and they said you should provide that as a increment to the person's salary and the school actually chose to invest in a, a statue <laughs> ironically wow. so I walked past this beautiful flowers statue every day and I was like that's my pay rise um but I think what you've you've highlighted there is that the the inequality within early years it's so yep. multifaceted mm -hmm. and so constricting and I think yeah. something that I said to, to Kate before we came onto the podcast is we don't have any joy left in the early years people mm -hmm. deliver and they're often miserably delivering yeah. harrowing statistics or depressing headlines or everyone's against us how do we we're putting it to you Jamel how do we get the joy back into the early years because I felt full of joy after your do you know what um I had a uh a conversation with Tamsin Grimmer about this. Um, when was it last? No, last week I had a conversation. Let me just find my notes. And we was talking about, do you know what? I don't even need notes. What's it called? <laughs> so basically, uh, the first the first layer of the early years is, is that a lot of people that work in early years do not feel appreciated for the work that they do in the early years. The early years is not looked upon as a desirable means of work. A lot of people that come into the early years don't go into the early years because they started off saying, like, they looked for it, they, they were thinking of career prospects and thought, oh, I'm going to do early years. You know, that's not the case for a lot of people in the sector. You fall it, some people fall into it by mistake. Some people have just joined because it's something to do. And, you know, not everybody that works in the early years is passionate about the early years. So let's talk about passion. If you're passionate about something, that shows. Mm. That shows. And then that passion can, can rub off on those around you. But when you're in a, in a, in a, in a setting 
the, the mood, the vibe, the energy of those that you work with can then affect your energy and bring you down. And then you have this destructive culture in the workplace where everyone's rubbing each other the wrong way and causing friction. And that friction then combusts and the whole place goes in flames and then you've just got this domino effect where no one wants to work, no one wants to be there, they just want to collect their payment at the end of the month. The, the level of work that is done, the observations, the assessments, is just all the basic requirements. Mm. The, 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 the policies, the way policies are followed in brackets, like the inclusion policy. Mm. Oh, we're, followed, we're inclusive because we've got hand of surprise. We're inclusive because we've got a few black and white dolls. We're inclusive because we've got a few books. Those things suck the joy out of, out of what we're doing. And then the children, the children feed off of that energy as well. And um, they can tell when someone doesn't is not really into them or into what they're doing. And then they start displaying challenging behavior or they're not happy, they're not building those positive relationships, those secure bonds. And it just has such a rippling effect and the job becomes even more tedious. Mm. You know, how do we bring back the joy? We bring back the joy by remembering why we joined the early years in the first place, what drew us to the early years and remembering what we're good at you know, and stop comparing ourselves to the other person. And that's what happens a lot of the time. People are in com um, competition um, yeah. and thinking that person's better than me at this, that person's better than me at this, I'm rubbish at my job, I'm getting paid a certain amount and I'm just not happy, you know? Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I mean, a lot of the work I do is now predominantly is around mental health and well-being and I deliver training to you know sometimes whole staff teams or you know individuals as part of a, a kind of a whole session and the sense I get is a, a real sense of low self-esteem a lack of confidence self-worth and I think that's because you know for some of the things that we've talked about you know we it's we're never ever good enough and what Kerry and I were talking about last week was and I know certainly I found that in what I'm doing is that we in early years we wear so many different hats don't we we have to be a doctor a lawyer a counselor we're a teacher um you know we're mathematicians we're scientists we're carers we wear all of these different roles and actually you know when we start out as a practitioner wherever that path takes us we're sometimes not fully prepared when it's when it's time to become a room leader or when we go and do different roles and so if you're then like managing or leading settings sometimes you're doing that without ever having the proper training in, in, in like you know in order to do yeah. that and so all of a sudden we're now you know now you know obviously what I'm talking about mental health and well-being it's like a, a buzzword isn't it it's a hot topic so when mm -hmm. Ofsted included it it's like we're seeing it as part of a tick list oh how am I going to include well-being now and, yep. and you know you can see some practitioners like oh for god's sake have i really got to think about this now as a manager yep. have i really got to start doing mental health training because that's something that makes people feel uncomfortable and now in the past couple of weeks you know as white women we're now trying to start and for, for you know challenge some of our workforce to say it's not enough now it's not enough for you to say i don't see color i treat all children the same it's not enough to know that our actions aren't racist and our words yeah. aren't racist it's what you were talking about it's this understanding now and unraveling some of our i suppose you know institutions discrimination prejudice how yeah. we recruit 
you know, people of colour, but also men, how, like, the whole thing. And so I think lots of people are thinking, are you joking me? I don't get paid enough as it is. And now you want me to try and face up to something. Like, oh, this feels really uncomfortable. I don't want to admit or even think about these things. So it's easier to just pretend it's not happening. It's easier to just say, mm -hmm. oh, it's okay. And, and actually, as you said, you know, we've got to face up to the fact that and remind ourselves that we are, you know, we are doing this for our next generation. We're, we're leading yeah. a fight for the next generation. And, you know, the small, you know, little black boys in our setting that we think are cute and adorable now, they're going to grow up into, into men such as yourself mm -hmm. who are facing you know, equality um, and, and unfairness. And um, we've, we've got a responsibility to do something about it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen today the letter from Marcus Rashford, the Man U player in England. Yeah, the football and um, he, he's kind of, he's talking about, you, you talked about how the media and the press, which is, is part of this issues that we have with, with, with racism, how they flip the narrative round. He's talking mm -hmm. about, it's not black and white, which is what you just said, it's humanity. And what he was saying was that um, nine, 2018, 2019, nine out of 30 children in any classroom are living in poverty. But he said, this figure is, will rise. But what we know is in England today, 45% of children in our classrooms, children in black and, my, my, and minority ethnic groups are now in poverty. And it's like, we've got to wake up to this. We've got to do something about it. It's, yeah. We're talking about classes and we're talking about, you know, and, and he talks about being on free school meals and what that felt like and the work yeah. that he's done around that. And, you know, it's just when you start unpicking it, it's, we've got a massive job on our hands. <laughs> of course. And, and even the understanding, it's about educating yourself because, like, I recently had a, um, I joined, I was in a, I watched a webinar with the No Exclusions um, group and they were talking about exclusions in schools and talking about like that the understanding of culture the understanding of race and they were talking about like how um even some health issues yeah that only like for instance sickle cell how sickle cell can affect your mood you know and some children may have sickle cell that might affect their behavior such and such and then a child might be um like feeling like the microaggressions and things like that of the teachers and blah, blah, blah. And how all these different antecedents can build up and impact on, on the individual. And this is happening um, from a young, from a, from a child is, is at a young age, you know, um, you're made to feel a way. And, you know, it's important that we educate ourselves because systematic racism is a, is a real thing. Yep. Um, direct racism is a real thing. But the systematic is what a lot of people don't understand, you know. These yeah. children are being set up for failure, you yeah. know, from the beginning. These members of staff are set up for failure. And even when you rise, and like um, Kerry was saying, to, like, how do I feel, you know, like when I, when I write these tweets and I'm talking about I am this, I am that, I am this, and I'm telling the world, you know, I'm speaking up about it is because sometimes when you walk into a room or you do an event and you're the only black, man booked to speak at an event or you're the only black person booked to speak at an event or present in a setting doing training and so on sometimes there can be a bit that feeling of imposter syndrome like should I really be here 
should this really be what I'm doing? Because you don't see people like myself doing what I do, you know, and, and speaking about it. And, and you know, sometimes, well, how do you know all these things? Like I've written things and I've read them out to like, to my family members. I'm, I'm telling them what I, they're like, are you sure you wrote this? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> wrote, I wrote this this morning. Like, wow, how do you know all these things? I read, I read. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, um, you know, it's important. Like, I feel like people like me have such a key role in this because I'm showing the rest of the world, like, yo, you can do this. Do you know what I mean? You can do this. Like, if, you, if you're fun, you, you like children, you know, you're brave, and your CRB's in the right order, <laughs> yeah. come, and join the, uh, come and join the early years, you know? Come and join us. So I think that's an important factor. I was talking to Liz Pemberton um, on her socials. She's the black nursery manager. And she was yes. talking today about actually, you know, um, how she's kind of, and we're going we're gonna to be recording a podcast with her as well. And so I don't want to obviously give too much of that away, but she's, she's talking a similar thing about what you're saying is, you know, um, her family obviously own the nurseries, but she's saying to her workforce who, and, and what she's saying is that her nursery, she used to have people come and look around and they'd be horrified when they opened the door because everyone was black. And so, because they're in a part of Birmingham, like a leafy suburb mm -hmm. of Birmingham, Edgebaston, um, and actually what, what she advocates now is like, this is our culture, the, the, the many, well, all of the families that come here, we're, we're you know, our staff are black, our, our, our um, children are, our families are. So there was no surprise because what she was saying was how she was empowering her workforce to be like, you know, yeah. you know, work hard. This is what you can do, you know, and, and kind of listening to her speak about, like being that role model and I suppose it's what we're talking about that representation that you know these things are possible for anybody and you know it's just powerful to kind of hear you speak you know about how you educate yourself and learn and and I think you know we can all recognize that imposter syndrome we all we all we all recognize that but what I've understood in the last couple of weeks is it, it would be much easier to deal with what um, imposter syndrome when I am part of the majority within the room as a white woman within the workforce. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so we need to start challenging some of these, these things now and understanding them, don't we, like you said? Of course. And Kate, do you know what's, do you know what's even funny? Like, anyone do this, anyone that listens to this podcast, I want you to do this. I want you to go online and look at the infrastructure, yeah, the business infrastructure, to most of these nursery chains, even in parliament, you know, look at the current cabinet. There is no black, and I say this clearly, black person in the cabinet. And you hardly see a black, do you know what? I, I don't think I even know like any real like proper black people that are like the CEOs of like any of these main nursery chains, you know what I mean, in London and, and, or England to be precise, you know, I don't know, like, and I'm happy that Liz, like, do you know what I mean? She, her family and she's done what she's done and you know what I mean? But I mean like some of the most influential people in early years, yeah, when you weigh it up, you check it, if you do it by, by race, you know, there's only a few black people that have come through and get through. And that's, and I feel like as a person of color, is because a lot of people reach to a certain height and they get disheartened. Do you know what I mean? And, there's, and it's not like people are not capable. 
you know? I just think that when you get to a certain place, it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. It's I, just uncomfortable. And I yeah. think that's what some people are waking up to understanding now, isn't it? It's actually, it's not just enough to say, oh, well, the best person for the job got the role or, you know, I've tried to, you know, make sure I've got a diverse lineup of speakers. It's actually, no, like, why haven't we done this before? We need to go further than that. So find mm -hmm. out what work, what work is out there from people before us, you know, on, re on research, on, on articles, on, you know, on, you know, all of this these topics that we're talking about and actually how can we connect with and know what are the consultants trainers and educators are out there and actually look around our spaces and I've done that and Kerry's talked about owning up to stuff you know I know that in the settings that I've worked in I worked in one I'm from Birmingham so we are in case you couldn't tell and yeah. <laughs> we're, we're clearly you know a, a, a diverse kind of city um you know and you know in some parts of Birmingham you know a white person you are the minority but even yeah. in a setting I worked in 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 Spark Hill in Birmingham a lot of Asian families um even within that team that I worked in um when I think back to it the leadership team we were all white but mm -hmm. all of the practitioners they were either black or they were Asian and there were yeah. no none of us I think we had one one room leader um, who was a black woman but she didn't want and now you say it's uncomfortable when you get to a certain level and she didn't want any more responsibility than that room leader even though she was yeah. absolutely fantastic and it just makes you think back doesn't it I think that's um, I've been thinking about that though is that is potentially a critical because I know for myself it's been a critical failure of mine is that as a white person, if somebody historically has, has challenged the diversity of a nursery or, so for example, when I first moved to London and I was working in a, a diverse nursery with lots of different ethnicities, I, I would have, I feel like at the time I would have challenged somebody saying it wasn't diverse because I would have said, well, look around. But what I failed to recognize is that hierarchy and that progression. And I think yeah. what white people or what I feel that I sometimes fall in the trap of is my defenses come up before I allow myself to learn. So I'll yeah. immediately go, well, I need to defend myself here and I need to, to stick up for my belief system. And it's about white people now dismantling aspects of that that make us go, shit, I've, I've, I've got that wrong or a thought about that in a, in a, a kind of really, what's it, in a kind of simplified manner, isn't it? Because you go, oh, walk into an and there's lots of black, Asian, Indian, like you have all those ethnicities and it, it does feel like a tick box rather than going, but what opportunities yeah. of each of the people, child, adult, parents, what opportunities have been presented to those people? Um, I don't know if that's, does that make sense? No, it does. It does. It resonates with me a lot because what I've, what I've found, like I was supporting a parent um, last week who wrote a letter to her, the manager of her nursery. She was very happy with the nursery, um, saying that the room that her child was going into, you know, uh, was talking about the diversity and she was talking about um, how um, is she supporting the members of the team that are diverse and what kind of practice do they have currently um, that is addressing, you know, the whole situation in America and the situation over here. Because what we have in like my, in, in the place where my day job, like in the school, 
we do what's called a social story. And I know some and other nurseries have had it as well, where something's happening in the world that's being addressed, it's on the news, it's being spoken about. You know, you'd have a little circle time and you would hold a discussion with the children, a light discussion, mm-hmm. you know, and see what their angles and perspectives on it are. Because these things that are happening in the wider world are affecting our children, you know, the same way they affect us, the adults. And um, the 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 manager wrote back saying that we have, like, you've been happy so far. It's sad to think that, you know, you, you have it, basically you're having this issue and these thoughts. We follow, um, we have an inclusive uh, policy. Um, we celebrate diversity and British values, blah, de, blah, de, blah. And, she, and, and the, 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 parent, the, the young lady asked to have a meeting and the manager was not willing to have a meeting with the parent. And I was, I was in shock because you think, wait, isn't part of our pedagogy and part of the way that we do things in the early years is to build a parent partnership, which then helps the partnership that we have with the children, right? So wouldn't you want to have a meeting? And the, and the letter wasn't even an attack on the nursery. It was just to make suggestions, mm. recommendations. And that's how, you, you know, you can see how that defense, that shutter, just mm-hmm. comes down. And do you know where that comes from, Kate and Kerry? This whole racial thing, this race thing, yeah, is something that you've, you've grown with. Whether you've been aware of it or not. Even us as black people, we've grown with it. So when we drive our cars down the road, we take off our caps and put them on our laps so we're not stopped by the police. When we walk into a classroom, we tone down our voices, mm-hmm. yes? Not like we're talking particularly loud, but because we know as black people, we're perceived in a way. When I, when I used to work in, in an affluent nursery in the city in Westminster, once I was wearing a suit, I hopped on the underground train from Westminster. I was with a, a, a white colleague. I sat down, the lady next to me grabbed her bag and held it close to her. People need to understand that it's not a, sh- a, 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 a chip on the shoulder thing. It's not something that's being made up. It's not something that you've just put in like Merlin magic made out of magic, you know, like it's, mm. no, this thing is real. Okay, this thing is real. And the only way that it's gonna be addressed and the only way things are, any changes are gonna be made is if we take up all the old things we know and all the old perceptions we knew and threw them in the bin and start from fresh. We all need to start from fresh, mm. you know? And um, in the early years, there's so many books, there's, there's so much literature, but it needs to come within us. I've heard a member of staff say that bananas are not green, they're yellow to a Caribbean child, mm. okay? Well, in our, where we come from, bananas are green, we boil them and you can eat them with fish and so on, it's a provision. They do come yellow as well. They come in all different shapes and sizes. You know, it's about building that scaffolding and not only for children, but for our members of staff, for us as individuals. You know, just because we've seen one type of dog doesn't mean that just that one type of dog exists. Dogs come in all different shapes and sizes. Animals come in all different shapes and sizes, different colors. They have different appetites, different um, temperaments. Mm. 
they like different things, you know? That banana analogy just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> brain, like, oh my goodness, that, that kind of sums up part of the, the, the issue is that... Um, and I, I often say this about adult to adult, we often disallow each other's feelings, but we, feelings, thoughts, and perceptions. And yep. actually we do it to children continuously. And I don't know, it's triggered examples in my mind of where a child's culture has been disallowed by an adult's own perception, which is pretty uncomfortable when you, when you really face up to that, particularly when, and I think that's the thing, me and Kate have had all these discussions privately around what we have viewed ourselves as, as, as practitioners, as advocates, as consultants, we're having to face up to, we've not always put the right foot forward and that's, how we then go about changing that in the future does require, I do think you sometimes have to look backwards in order to, to move forwards. Um, yeah. And then when I'm doing consultancy training, I always say to practitioners, the reason I'm a consultant now is because I was the, the bad practitioner. I've done every bad practice you can think mm -hmm. of and I've learned from those errors and, and mistakes. And, and that's why I feel confident to stand up now because when I'm saying to you, that's not necessarily the best way to do it because I've been in your shoes and I understand what happens at the end of that story. Yeah. So yeah. It's, um, yeah, the bananas, I feel like that's a, that's a quote, that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we don't know best, do we? Some, sometimes I think it's owning up to as, as practitioners, just because we are, the teachers are the educators we it's like there's that so it goes back you know superiority oh you know we know that we know best we know everything naturally and i think it depends what setting you're working in so like yeah. i can remember working in a setting and one little boy would say oh, i need to go for a poo poo can i go for a poo poo and the teacher would say oh my word i don't need to hear what you're going to do when you get to the bathroom if you would like to go to the toilet, you ask me to go to the toilet. You don't say, can I go for a poo? And that was the environment we worked in at the time. But actually, mm -hmm. like, you know, hold on. For so many reasons, it's okay to say poo. It's okay to say we. These are little children. Like, we don't know best. We need mm -hmm. to learn from them. And I think we can open up to that mentality of we can learn from the children. Let them lead us. It's yeah. powerful in so many different ways. Yep. Yeah. And isn't, and isn't that the basis of our, of our um, practice anyway? You know, we learn about all these theorists, Vygotsky, Bowlby, Piaget. They talk about these things, you know what I mean? They talk about our, our children being little investigators, little explorers. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to follow them. You yeah. know, it's supposed to be a social exchange. Uh, what do you call it again? Uh, a social construct, uh, uh, what is the constructivist view, yeah? So yeah. we're building together, we're exchanging knowledge and, and we're helping to form the bigger picture. And this is what society needs to do. This is why there's the far left. This is why they're far right. This is why people are clashing. This is why there is such ignorance. You've got guys in the protecting statues of, of Churchill throwing up Nazi salutes. What? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And this is what we're seeing. And that's just, that is, and this is what we're seeing in another sense in the early years. You know, this is, we're our practice is supposed to be this, but what we're doing is completely what we would be against. You know what I'm saying? If we saw in another instance. It comes back to that point as well though, doesn't it? Of 
we're allowed to celebrate our culture, even if it's got quite a few questionable things in it, but you ain't allowed to celebrate yours. And I think sometimes that's the issue with the term celebrating diversity, because yeah. celebrating suggests that we put diversity into pocket. So I'll do a tea party around the world once a year, because then I can go, well, I celebrate diversity rather than actually creating this interwoven pedagogy that... Yep. And it's not the word celebrate that just embeds culture into the everyday and adults not being afraid of a child possessing more knowledge of that more knowledge than them yeah it's like okay because that children we learn so much from children but why let's not shut them down when they do say something that we go i didn't know that about the bananas or i didn't know that about a particular breed of animal can you tell me more or do I need to go and discover more for myself? So we yep. need to stop celebrating diversity and embed diversity so that it no longer is even a relevant term because I saw something the other day, um, a, a, an influencer saying diversity suggests that we are different and that we should be segregated. And yes, we should, mm -hmm. we should acknowledge differences, but we shouldn't be segregated by it as such, which I thought was an interesting perspective. Um, I know obviously there's there's tensions around that term, but um, yeah, I, I do think that we need to focus more on embedding rather than celebrating. Most definitely. And, and, and the way that the word diversity actually separates, you know, black people from white people. I mean, black people from white people, Asian people, you know what I mean? Because when you talk about diversity, white, a lot of white people don't consider themselves as a diversity. You know, they just consider themselves as, you know, we're here. Mm. You know, when, you know, in white culture, if you actually look back and if people actually done their history, they would really understand how diverse white people actually are. Mm. You know, and no white person is actually just white. Yeah. You know, you've got other things within your genetic makeup. So therefore, you alienating yourself segregating yourself from the rest of the world is nonsense mm. you know um and and just to touch on the whole diverse aspect a lot of these people that are racist are prejudiced they travel the world they go on their little holidays they go to the beach you know what i mean they like a bit of sun you know what i mean you know mm. go with the locals have a little drink on the beach but then when it comes to your hometown you know you're not you're not so open you know, and our society is a cosmopolitan society. So being a cosmopolitan society, I've said this before, our practice, our workforce should be cosmopolitan. It should, it should mirror, our workforce should mirror our society. And yeah, man, and that's what I'm passionate about. That's why I am an ambassador of men in the early years, because I know that each man brings something different. It doesn't, and, and it's not always determined by race, you know. Um, each male has their own, has their own expertise, has their own experience, and even with our female counterparts, it's the same thing. I know some women that are more brave, more confident, more powerful, you know, in so many different ways, you know, when it comes to early years than than others. Mm. but it doesn't make that female better than the other female. No, that just means that you've got something to bring to the table that's impactful, that can help all of us in the end. Mm. You know, if you hear a, a, a speech from Laura Henry or you hear 
um, Penny talk or you hear Tamsin or you hear anyone, you know, Kate, it could be you. You each have something to bring to the table and, and it's just like myself, you know. We, we all inspire each other and we're here to share practice. Isn't the early years about sharing practice? Yeah, I saw a really good description for that the other day, which I did as part of the EY library, which it described it as a symphony of skills. So like Brilliant. we see ourselves as an orchestra and we each are playing different instruments. And again, that's, that's a critical issue within the early years is that there is this one size fits all. We all must love this and be great at this. And, and we almost need, we almost love being outside and we almost be good at phonics. And actually the symphony allows us to each bring those, those unique um, skills. I'm looking at the time here and I know that we're, yeah. we're, we're starting to, to run over, but um, yeah. I think it's been a really, really interesting conversation. Yeah, no, it definitely has. And, and you know what, with to, just to add on to your, your orchestra, I like that analogy, um, yeah. is, is the fact that sometimes in practice, you know, your practice will resi resonate. You know, your, your vibration will be the same. You know, your practice mm -hmm. vibration will be the same as someone else. You know, you will connect, but you need to understand that you won't connect with everyone. And sometimes when you walk into a classroom, there will be things or, or a nursery setting, you know, there will be things that you won't agree with. And there are the, the, the standards, you know, there are standards of, mm -hmm. of practice. But we need to understand that not everybody is us and everybody has something to share. That's I think that is a great ending. Kate, I'm going to let you... Um... <laughs> What's that? I was trying to think of an orchestra. Play us out because I just... Yeah. <laughs> I've not, I've not heard that before. So I just loved that whole kind of symphony. And then uh, Jamal's talking about the vibrations and, you know, that's something absolutely I passionately talk about all the time. And Kerry and I have previously talked about, you know, even, even sometimes, you know, we compare ourselves as practitioners, you know, like I'm 40 now. If I compare what I know and understand now to the practitioner I was at like 17, 18, when I always did naughty things, you know, like I'm a completely different person yet. Sometimes we expect ourselves from other people and we have to, we, we, I think it's just, you know, to empower our workforce to move forward. It's, yes, it is this symphony that is picking up on our vibrations and, and like, you know, we're, yeah it's just that whole celebration of we've all got something to bring to the table um, and we've got to recognize that um and i think there's like a lot of work and a lot of it is like interwoven and interlinked really and that's around. the joy pardon yeah. that's the joy isn't it yeah 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 so but that's I've, the I've, tapestry oh yes oh, we're, we're getting very philosophical we are <laughs> yeah fabulous talking to you and you know just also to say you're the first man we've had on our podcast Jamil so far brilliant 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 we have so, we will have more men it's, it's not intentional we are gonna have more are men. you sure Kerry are you sure yeah. we've got a list yeah. of men we've got a list of men we're targeting um to come on as well <laughs> we're still new we're still a new podcast yeah, yeah. We are. <laughs> now you're doing well you're doing so well and um, I think it's brilliant, like just having a free space that you can talk, you know, at this at this level, and you know, everyone is is heard and listened to. And this, as I said, it's a tapestry, you know. Each fort weaves another fort, you know, and we'll have one big blanket in the end, or one big carpet, you know. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by Tapestry, the <laughs> tracker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Gab. Thank you, Jamel. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You no. know, and people, wait, can I can I do a quick a quick plug? Do you? I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got oh yeah, no, sorry, I thought I'd stop recording. It's fine. <laughs> okay, on. okay. So yeah, um, people, please add me on my socials, um, Instagram and Twitter, Jamal. So that's J A M E L dot Carly C A R L Y. Add me, shoot me a message. Um, and yeah, man, we'll get talking. I do offer training as well. Um, I've got three different workshops I do. One is about perfect practice. The second is about motivation and stimulation. And the last is the hot sauce training. Ooh. Yeah, hot sauce training. Yeah. And if people want to All know right, what that me. is, they've got to get in touch with you. Sounds they've got to get in touch with me. Yeah. They've got to. Yeah. It sounds <laughs> and we'll make sure we add when we put this out we'll make sure we add your links to social media as well thanks jamel okay. thank you